1: Hey, this is Jay Papazan, co-author of The One Thing. Hey, this is Albert Preciado from The Mortgage Guys. Hey, this is Dave Burkus, author of the new book, Friend of a Friend. And if you want to learn how to build relationships
2: the right way. And if you want to learn how to build wealth and relationships.
3: And if you want to learn a better way to network, strengthened by science, but put into practice. You should be listening
2: to the Build Your Network Podcast. Build Your Network Podcast. Build Your Network Podcast. With my good friend, Travis Chappell.
0: Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Build Your Network podcast. Today is another compilation episode. Uh, We're in the middle of a series about mentorship and masterminds. And there's been some tremendous value been given so far, and I can't wait to share today's episode with you all. But first, you hear my guests and I talk a lot about masterminds here on the show, obviously, especially with these, uh, these last few compilation episodes that have been going out. If this is a new term to you or you've always kind of wondered exactly what a mastermind is, you're definitely going to want to take my free mastermind course. It is everything you need to know about masterminds in just six short lessons, and it's 100% free. So there's literally no reason to not at least see what it's about. Just head over to freemmcourse.com slash enroll to grab that course and start today. This is one of the most frequently asked questions that I get is, hey, Travis, what is a mastermind? You talk about masterminds all the time. I don't really know exactly what that is or what, like, where do I find one? Who leads them? All those different types of questions. If any of those have ever come up in your head, just head over to freemmcourse.com enroll to grab that course and start today. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Build Your Network podcast. This is part number 12 in our Who or What You Know series. So if you like the stuff that's on this particular episode, be sure to check out the last 11 parts of this series that all feature different guests that have been on the show. And that's another point really quick that I want to make is that every guest that's on these topic episodes has an entire episode back in a backlog of the show. So if you are interested in hearing more from one of the particular guests in any of these episodes, be sure to go in and check out their full episode. So today we are featuring Jay Papazan, who is the vice president of Keller Williams Realty, the largest real estate brokerage in the country. And he's the co-author of the books, Millionaire Real Estate Agent, Millionaire Real Estate Investor, and the bestseller, the biggest one out of all of them, the one that I still see in like every airport bookstore that I go to, The One Thing. The One Thing has been an insane, an insane, insane success, and uh, Jay is the co-author of that. And then we have Albert Presciado, who is the founder and CEO of a company called The Mortgage Guys, a mortgage brokerage out in Southern California. And he's also the founder of an event called Driven, where some of the top business and entrepreneurial speakers have come out to grace the stage and give value to his attendees over there. Then we have David Berkus, who is an author of the book... Friend of a Friend, which is one of the better networking books that's available out there and super relevant to the things that we have talking about or the things that we are talking about here on the show today. So every single one of these guests is going to bring some amazing value around this topic. But really quickly, before we get into that, we have all heard the Jim Rohn quote, you're the average of the five people that you spend the most time with. Imagine being able to build out those top five people and personally select the caliber of people on that list. Literally nothing would be out of your reach if you could always fill that inner circle with the people that are crushing the thing that you're trying to crush. This was a mere dream to me just a couple of years ago and now I can say I'm blessed to be able to carefully curate my circle with the people I want to be around the most and now you can do the same thing. I recently created a training and community just for people who are interested in always being able to customize and fill their top five. It's called Explode Your Network and it is everything that you need to know to exponentially grow your connections, level up your inner circle, and shorten your runway to success without annoying a single person or printing a single business card. Plus, it's attached to a community of like-minded people who are all interested in doing the same exact thing. So if any of this is important to you at all, you're going to want to be a part of this elite movement. Take action. Head over to travischapel.com slash explode to finally take control of your inner circle and shorten your runway to building the life of your dreams. And now here is who or what part number 12 with Jay Papazan, Albert Preciado, and David Burkis. Let me ask you this question. Ask every single guest that comes on the show, who you know, or what you know, which one's more important. Does anybody say what? Yes. Knowing it's a networking yes. show just,
1: just to be contrary or because they have a reason?
0: Sometimes they have a reason. Yeah. It's funny to ask that because when I started the show, that was like the question that I had at the very beginning Yeah, just to like lob one up so they can knock it out of the park, you know? Yeah. But I started getting all these different various random answers and it's been one of the most intriguing things to me because it's kind of been a staple of the show and a lot of people come to hear what people have to say on that topic. But This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at Indeed.com/slash. Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions
1: apply. If you need hire, you need Indeed. I put who first. I do think there's a limit on that. Mm -hmm. When I looked at the people I was inviting to my network, Mm -hmm. it wasn't because of who they knew, it was because what they were doing. Mm -hmm. And so there are people whose what is networking. And Mm -hmm. the reason you go to them is they're a master connector. Mm But if I just have master connectors referring me to people who are referring me, that'll get old fast. <laughs> right. What I want is a short path to people who actually do things that are kind of remarkable. Right. That's what I consider a talent network. Hmm. I think that when you are in relationship with talent, talent tends to attract more talent. Mm-hmm. So you get Amanda Horvath, right? Because she's this great videographer and I think she's talent, right? And Mm -hmm. she's filming us right now, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm totally gonna mess with her now. (laughs) And, but you think, well, she probably hangs out with talented people. Mm -hmm. That's been my supposition. It proves to be true. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a lot of what built into that. Yeah. Very few people get to be talent purely on their networking skills Mm -hmm. and they end up in HR. Right. (laughs) So, like I said, like I'm willing to go through the who and that's really great. And I look up and I want to surround myself with people who are doing remarkable things and who share my values. Hmm. And that's the who I want around me. And there is some what built into that. So I don't know if that's too confusing. Yeah, no, it's a very
0: thorough answer because that's basically what I believe. I I think that it's who you know, for sure, hands down. But you have to be competent and you have to always be learning and growing. Because if you just know a bunch of people, but you never take the next step, then you're always just unimpressive, but everybody knows you. (laughs) <laughs> like you're just the guy that kind of shows up to the event and says, what's up? And people give you a hug.
1: But then if that's your you one leave, thing, you that's fine. I don't want to judge it. I mean, I yeah. think that's your one thing. I know some people who are that person and mm-hmm. you better believe the super connector. I definitely right? am. Yeah. I'm on the phone with them and they tend to be very entertaining, fun, great people to know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But there is yeah, like totally. a, depending on what your ultimate ambitions are, I do think there is a limit to how far you ride that. Right. I may be wrong.
0: Yeah, but that, I think that's the biggest difference. Though is that when I ask that question, a lot of people don't think of it the mentorship capacity. They only think of it in terms of, "Hey, who can you do a deal with tomorrow?" type thing. And and so I yeah. uh, compensate. That's
1: transactional. Yeah, exactly. You're exactly. turning who's into what. What mm-hmm. can they do for me? Mm-hmm. That doesn't have a long shelf life. Correct. And Correct. those are not the people I. You'll think always to find short-term hang term hang success,
0: with. but you're going to burn through people, burn through people, burn through people instead of having real, long-lasting, valuable relationships with others. But your personal story is a fantastic example of how a mentorship type relationship fueled not even just your career, but your entire mindset. You like, like you were saying, just started investing in real estate, your money mindset, your wealth creation, everything that you've built stemmed from a bathroom
1: conversation with Gary Keller, right? Yeah, that's pretty much where it all started. Yep. I didn't expect that when I got into it, yeah. but he's really purposeful. And you know, there's a model, one of his classes called Quantum Leap. Mm-hmm. And it's I thought no one succeeds alone, but it's it's a model for looking very purposely at your relationships. And it asks the question: Do you have mentors in these important areas of your life—a spiritual mm-hmm. mentor, a health mentor, a business mentor? Right? If it's like on page one fourteen of the book, we go through the seven circles. Mm-hmm. If it's that big, right? It's a big part of your life. Wouldn't it make sense to have a mentor or an advisor, right. somebody, somebody who's to mastermind been there, with right? it? Yeah, they could give you real advice when you needed it because those are the areas that tend to matter most. Mm-hmm. And the other one, and this is where Gary has definitely fulfilled it, he talks about, do you know who you determine wealth for and who are your wealth determiners? Hmm. And it's a really different kind of question. This is more of a business, but like, in some ways, I'm a wealth determiner for Gary Keller because before me, he didn't write books and together, we've been writing books. I'm not saying he wouldn't have, but that's just the way it turned out. Mm -hmm. And that's increased his reach. And therefore, he sees that as a reciprocal relationship. Mm -hmm. If my work in connection with him is creating benefit for him, he sees it as an obligation backwards. Okay. And frankly, now that I've seen that relationship, I wouldn't determine well for anybody who didn't see it that way. Right. There are people who will just take, 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 and never share. And then there are people who see that as inherently something that's got to be shared. Right. Right. And for, I guess about four or five years now, we've taken that. And when we do our retreat, I ask my wife who are the five people who most determine our success? Hmm. And that's been a really interesting exercise to, you know, it's actually like eight people. You're supposed to do five. We always cheat, (laughs) but it'll be like, these are the people that those relationships actually matter on a business level a lot Hmm. more. So it might be your number one referrer. It might be your number one client. It might be an employee in your organization that you really rely on, but just being aware that some of those relationships matter at a higher level allows you to treat them differently. Yeah. but. I was thinking mostly about like those areas in your life that really matter. Like, do you have a mentor? Do you have a coach? I mean, Mm -hmm. our physical trainer is our health coach. Mm -hmm. I know I always have someone I can ask, well, what should we do about our diet? What should we do about this? Mm -hmm. And that's there and it's present. And I can always ask those questions. Yeah.
0: And the, I feel like there's so many excuses for a lot of people, but the biggest thing to remember is like, if you're in this situation right now is, and you can't afford to go hire seven different mentors There's something really cool. It's called YouTube. And and there's something really cool. They're called podcasts. And then there's a book like this, like mentorship and coaching and all that stuff has never, ever been as easily readily available. And I, I think the reason that you were in a position to be able to hire those people is because you were also doing those things when you were not able to hire those people.
1: True. I, I can. I, some book I read once called "You Know All of the Authors That You Never Got to Meet." You know, they're, they're your dead mentors, hmm. and they're waiting on a bookshelf for you to have a long conversation with them. And yeah. that stuck with me because yeah. there's that information is always accessible, mm-hmm. and you can learn from their life and their journey. You know, if you want to read about Benjamin Franklin, there's probably like ten amazing biographies you can mm-hmm. get read. Right. And you can have that conversation with someone who's done amazing things in the past.
0: This episode of the show is brought to you by StoryWorth. StoryWorth makes it easy and fun for your loved ones to share their stories with weekly emailed story prompts. At the end of the year, they'll get their stories bound in a beautiful hardcover book. So the way it works is you purchase a subscription for somebody that you love. And each week, StoryWorth sends them an email with a question about their life. Then they reply to that email with the story. And then after a year, all of those stories from the entire year are bound into a beautiful keepsake book. With my son being born recently, preserving family memories has been bumped up to the top of my priority list. So we actually got this for my grandparents so that next year, our bedtime stories with Cameron can be adventures that his great grandparents went through in real life, which is such a real, it's just an awesome way to preserve these stories for him to have forever. Plus Father's Day is right around the corner. So this will make an awesome gift to a dad in your life. To get $20 off of your subscription, head on over to storyworth.com slash Travis, or use code Travis at checkout. That's storyworth.com slash Travis. Do you believe that what you know or who you know is more important, Albert, and why?
2: I think it's a combination of both. You can't just not know anything and just know people and expect to be successful. You got to put in the work. So It's huge knowing and becoming friends with people that you aspire to be like. Mm -hmm. But then again, you have to put in the work or else those people are going to drop you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. They're just going to see you as the incompetent friend that just kind of is around all the time.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly.
0: So if you're, if if somebody's listening to this right now and you're going to tell them to focus on either one of those this year, which of them are you going to tell them to focus on?
2: building themselves first, because I built myself, I built credibility and I had something to show Rand Cardone. I had something to show Patrick, the David so that I could get a chance to be in front of them. The worst thing you could do is get in front of somebody like that and waste their time Hmm. because that'll be the end of it. You'll never, ever get another chance with them. So you have to be prepared. You have to read a lot, study a lot, do self-improvement, work on your mind a lot so that you could communicate with a person like that. And then once you start communicating with them, once you meet with them for the first time and you earn their respect, you're going to stay a friend with them and then you're going to keep growing with them. So there's a lot of people that just think, Hey, you know what? I'm going to go work with Albert. I'm going to go work for Albert at the mortgage guys, or I'm going to go work with Grant Cardone at Cardone enterprises. And just because I work for them, means that I'm going to be another multimillionaire on the rise. It's not just about that. It's, you have to put in the work and it requires a lot of hard work and a lot of sleepless nights. Yeah. Have
0: you always been a personal development guy or is that something that you just started doing like in your
2: late twenties or something like that? Always since six years old, I think. Okay.
0: Gotcha. So books, audiobooks. what was your choice on all those?
2: Well, when I was a kid, I used to ask a lot of questions. So I would always try to find the smartest person mm. and just start bombarding them with questions, even like stupid questions. <laughs> and that was my way of learning when I was a kid. I used to like cartoons that taught you stuff. I didn't really like like stupid. There's like a lot of stupid cartoons that are just a waste of time. Mm. So now what I'm doing is my daughter, Italia, she's one year and three months. We're feeding her cartoons that teach her things. So I used to watch like a lot of cartoons. I used to get ideas from like educational cartoons. And that's how I learned as a kid. But as soon as I, I learned how to read, I started getting into books. Like my first book was Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And then I just started reading book after book after book. Then that's how I started building my mind.
0: So you were in, ever since you were a little kid, you always had these big dreams and desires of how much money you wanted to make and stuff like that. When you were in high school, were there people that were like, hey, you're going to have to go to school to make that kind of money? Or what did that whole process look like? Because it sounds like you skipped college and went straight into mortgages. Is that right?
2: Well, Yeah, sort of. But when I was going through school, my parents, my family, friends of my parents, they would say, yeah, you got to go to school. And everybody would make fun of me and think I was a dumbass because all the kids of my parents' friends were going to college, getting degrees. And then my mom would tell me, oh, look, this girl just graduated from the university of this. Oh, this look at your childhood friend. George just got his degree or stuff like that. And Mm, then I know that I was working on a bigger mission. Right. So that was always there. But part of my extra ambition to like not give up was first grade through 12th grade. I went to schools and people made fun of me. I was humiliated. And they even went as far as putting me on special ed class because they thought that I just couldn't understand the language because my first language was Spanish. Mm-hmm. And even though I was born here, my parents knew no English. So they taught me Spanish. And then when I went there, I couldn't understand the teachers and students. So they just thought that my competency wasn't there. So they put me in special ed class Then they transferred me to ESL. And then the kids would call me like, you know, stuff like wetback, beaner, go back to Mexico and stuff like that. So I always grew up dealing with everybody against me and I just never gave up.
0: Yeah. How did that play into your success, you think?
2: I think it had a big, it was a big key. Yeah. Yeah. To be
0: able to like deal with adversity and still see success through it is something that's severely underrated, especially with culture nowadays. Like I think everybody tries to protect their children from any sort of like, you know, harm and any sort of disappointment or any sort of like bad mental experiences, you know, so like that's where the whole participation trophy thing was born out of and all this stuff. But really adversity is where we learn life's greatest lessons and that's where we really thrive. And that's what really produces happiness, I think, is the ability to overcome adversity and be more comfortable with dealing with bigger problems and situations, which has probably led you to be able to build your company as young as you are in the time that you did it. Probably all of that stems back to the fact that you had the confidence to be able to overcome adversity. Would you agree with that?
2: Absolutely. I have a big vision, so I'm really creative and I'm focused on the big goal, the big picture, Mm -hmm. but I miss a lot of small details. Okay. So one of the keys to my success when I started just scaling and growing the company was I started focusing on systems. I started focusing on people's strengths and weaknesses. So I started building a team and all my weaknesses, I delegated it to people that were strong in those areas. And that's where Patrick, but David came into the picture because I started building teams like a big team and then just scaling with people. Mm -hmm. And all of those people see my blind spots and they have strengths, which are my weaknesses. I have a great strength that maybe I'm probably the only one that has that strength, but I also have a lot of weaknesses that require attention.
0: So basically building a team around that has been pretty paramount to the success you've seen? The Biggest. Do you believe that what you know or who you know is more important and why? So I think this is a really funny question
3: because before we settled on friend of a friend, one of the working titles of the book was literally who, you know, right in this argument. So I think it's definitely who, you know, I think who knows what, you know, is probably the most important, but I lean towards who, you know, and perhaps even more importantly, I think most people say that phrase, it's not what, you know, it's who, you know, in and in like a, they throw up their hands in frustration, like, oh, it's not what, you know, it's, I think that's actually tremendously good news because who you know is also inside your control, right? Mm -hmm. It's something that you can positively affect. And so I think people tend to like go, oh, it's all who you know, like that's a bad thing. But in reality, it's
0: really, really good news. Yeah, totally. I think it comes down to the perspective there because I'm on the same page the other. Usually when people say that to me, it's like, you know, it's not what you know, it's who you know. It's because they just like lost out to a job from some guy that knew the hiring manager, even though like they're more qualified, you know, like they're complaining about it. Like, oh, it's not what you know, it's who you know. It's like, well, why don't you just go get to know more people?
1: <laughs> and, and, <laughs> exactly and you, right.
0: You get the job because you know the hiring manager. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about the book here. Where did it come from? Where did it stem from? Is this something that you've always kind of been in as far as, like thought leadership? As far, is this something that's always intrigued you? Or was it something just most recently that you were like, hey, this is actually really interesting stuff?
3: Yeah. So it's a little bit of both. So the big idea to me is that we need to kind of redefine networking. I think for a lot of people, they think it just means meeting strangers, right? Having the perfect elevator pitch, having the right way to introduce yourself, all of those sort of things. And in reality, I think if you want to build your network, you want to grow your network. It's more about understanding the network that's already around you. And so as an author, I had written about a couple different times in support of my work, a couple different studies from the world of network science. But there's really there's been about five or six decades of people from sociology, psychology, mathematics, even physics, studying networks, in particular, person to person networks, but all sorts of networks. And they found, I mean, some honestly amazing insights that don't make it in to the networking advice books. Right. We're still kind of using I mean, Dale Carnegie and How to Win Friends of People. It's great, you know. Keith Razi never eat alone. It's great, but it's just one person's perspective, and it only is really valuable if you collect multiple different people's perspective. And what we call collecting the stories of multiple people, we call that research. We call that science. And so, why not go over to what the science of people who are studying networks has to say about how the network you are already in operates? Hmm.
0: And so, the study of all of this stuff basically eventually was just turning into this book that came out. It's exactly right. So the book kind of came out as
3: a reaction of like, I think this is what people need more than advice. I think they need someone. And I get it. A lot of, I mean, if you've, I had to write academic papers for one point in my life as a professor and I get it. They're really, really esoteric. They're written in weird verbiage and they're read by about 12 people, including the author's mom. <laughs> right. And so somebody needed to kind of like translate it to bring it from the ivory tower into the corner office or the co-working space or whatever. And so that became the goal. All right, let's write a book that teaches people how to network by teaching them network science. Yeah, the actual real raw data,
0: right? Yeah, exactly. So so give me one example of what that might look like.
3: There's a couple that have migrated over. If you were ever familiar with sort of like the strength of weak ties, that started as a paper and has been proven in a bunch of different ways that your weak and dormant ties are, are more effective for new information than your close contacts. The thing that I think is probably most interesting is... We dove really, really deep into the research behind six degrees of separation, or maybe you have played the game six degrees of Kevin Bacon. And what's fascinating to me isn't that we're all of 7.4 billion people in the world. We're one network that is five or six introductions away from people. It's the way that you search has a dramatic effect on what you find. So in other words, the early studies that showed five or six introductions were based on, you know, if you were a participant, I would recruit you and then I would tell you go relay this message to this specific person. In the first study, it was a stockbroker in Cambridge. And then when the message finally arrived, it'd count the number of links that you had to get the message through to get to that person. Well, when we start replicating the studies now in sort of a big data era, we start finding that it's actually closer to three or four because the algorithms that are being written to crunch all of these numbers of people's networks are able to find the most optimal path that we can't find. In fact, in network science, it's called the problem of search in social networks. Now, to translate this into like, OK, that's the nerdy part. What's the practical part? <laughs> yeah. Most of us, when we're trying to get introduced to a person or to a company, right, we work backwards. We LinkedIn stalk them, let's say, and then we see who we have in common and then we go beg for an introduction. In reality, the problem of search tells us that our approach should be to be asking lots of different people. Who do you know in blank? with blank being that industry, that company, that city that we want to get to know more people in and let people generate a list of multiple different people. When those lists kind of merge on two or three names, that's a definite signal that we have to get in touch with them. But in general, we're better off trying to get as many possible introductions in the beginning and then sort of narrowing down instead of starting from the end and trying to work our way backwards.
0: Yeah, all this is super fascinating to me because actually the main reason I started this show was to kind of test out the sixth degree of separation theory because it was always something that fascinated me because growing up, you know, you're kind of taught that you can't really ever get in touch with some people that you want to get in touch with, you know, like you see a celebrity on screen or watch your favorite sport or something and it's like, oh man, it'd be so cool to go hang out with LeBron James, you know? And then it's like, everybody's always telling you, well, that's just impossible. It can't be done. And I started the show because I just started asking the question, why not? You know, like, why can't it be done? And I've always heard the six degree of separation thing. If that's true, and I'm only like three or four introductions away to meeting like a role model of mine, why would I not try to put in the work to figure out how to do that? So you are saying that it's actually less than six degrees.
3: Yeah. So if you, literally, if you have a Facebook account, it's only three to four degrees. And that's not just because only 2 billion people are (laughs) are on Facebook and 7.4 billion are on the planet. It's also because of, you know, there is an optimal way, like an algorithm could find it. You as an individual can't find it. So you have to take a little bit more broad approach. The other thing that's interesting that you find when you study sort of the whole network is that the number of potential people making those connections are so numerous that it's possible. So let's use Kevin Bacon, right? Six degrees of Kevin Bacon is the game. Mm -hmm. And it sends this message that, oh, he's just so connected because he's been in all these movies with everybody. It's actually not true. If you crunch the numbers, he's the 669th most connected person in Hollywood. Right. So he doesn't. So Kevin Bacon doesn't have. Kevin Bacon's network, right? And so the idea that you need to even have this Rolodex of 10,000 people before you can go meet the LeBron James of the world, it's just simply not true. Our networks are so interconnected. And so the term in social science is resilient, that you can relay that message without even being there. You can be the 669th most connected person in a network, and you're still really, really close to those people that you would want to get connected to.
0: So in writing this book, was it more like trying to bring awareness around this idea Because kind of what we're talking about in the who you know versus what you know, I find that a lot of people think that it's who you know, and a lot of people would even say that it's who you know, but there's not a lot of people that are actually consistently and constantly working on building their network or staying in touch with people they've already networked with having a follow up system. So can you talk into that?
3: Yeah. I mean, I think for a lot of people, networks are sort of an organic thing. Like they grow because you change jobs and that adds a new list of coworkers, or they grow because you join a certain sort of conference that you attend every year. And so when they grow organically, I think that leads to a lot of people, like you said, throwing up their hands and going, oh, it's just who you know, because they don't sort of realize that they are in control of that. Like the example that I always use, right, is that I believe we need to be intentional about all of our relationships, even the least ones in our network, right? But most of us, like I'm married, and if I were to say to my wife, like, no, you know what? I forgot our anniversary because I didn't set a reminder because I wanted it to be organic and spontaneous. I didn't want it to feel inauthentic. That's not going to fly. You can't do that very many times in a row and still be married. I was going to say, wait, that didn't work. (laughs) No, I know, right? But why is any relationship any different? We ought to be, no, I don't need to set reminders for the anniversary of when I met every single person, but I should probably be doing something if I value that relationship to be intentional about it. Like you said, that could be a follow-up system. That could be making a regular appearance where I know that these people will be, whatever it is. And so, yeah, the goal of the book to me is really to teach people, here's how networks work. Now you design the system that will help you be intentional about all of those relationships. I can't give you a system because then it would be inauthentic, but I can help you design one that works for you, that is in line with these principles that will help you be intentional about all of your relationships, not just the sort of the most important ones we know. If it's true for them, it's true for all of our relationships.
0: Well, that's it for today's show. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you'd like to learn more about how we've been able to get some of the guests to come on the show, I've created a totally free resource called Meet Your Hero. So if you'd like to connect with people you respect and admire that are difficult to reach, you're going to want to go to travischapel.com hero to take action and start that training today. Have a wonderful rest of your day and remember to leave every relationship better than you found it.